Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor, heading for a fall. As I was uh, just doing some research, thinking about this whole topic, um, I came across this story, uh, whether it's actually true, it's one of these stories that probably gets, uh, it's probably an urban myth. But apparently Napoleon um, allegedly minted coins with his head on and the following words stamped on the coins. London taken 1804. Of course, that didn't happen, and he ended up imprisoned in a a, a British prison island in St. Helena. Pride comes before a fall. I remember years ago uh, when we were building the church that, uh, the church building uh, in Hedge End, church that I used to be one of the leaders in, and uh, we were building the building ourselves, and we were, a, a, a guy, Tim and I, were running the cables around the building, we ran all the cables around the building, it's a massive building, so we were up in the loft space, and it was half built, and... Um, uh, it was in the days when health and safety uh, wasn't as stringent as it was today. And, and I remember Annette saying to me, Steve, you must be careful. Please be careful. Um, uh, uh, anything could happen. Don't do anything stupid. And I just went, went yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'll all be fine. No, don't worry. What's going on? And, and I remember one day we were walking across uh, the roof. And I was on my own. I was working on my own at that point. Tim was uh, another part of the building. Uh, as you know, probably shouldn't be doing that. I'm in the rafters. And uh, as I'm walking along, my foot slips and I fall through the rafters. I fall through the rafters. As I fall through, I whack uh, myself going through and I land on a concrete floor. Now, this isn't a smooth concrete floor. This is a concrete floor with bricks and nails and lumps of concrete all over the place. And I landed on the back of my neck there. I landed, I must have fallen about eight and a half feet like that. And uh, all that uh, Tim heard was this almighty thud and then me speaking in tongues for about five minutes because I was, I just thought, I hope I haven't broke my neck. Pride comes before a fall. The Bible's clear, if we don't deal with pride, we are in trouble. And the really sad thing is none of us are immune to pride. As I'm standing up here and I'm preaching about pride, I'm just hoping I'm not going to fall off this stage this morning because I know pride is an issue in my own heart, just as it is in yours. You see, the issue isn't just how to avoid being proud, rather finding where it is where this disease is already lurking in our hearts. John Stott said this, At every stage of our Christian development, in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. This morning, we're going to unpack a little bit uh, what these Proverbs are talking about to help us avoid the pitfall of pride and to help us embrace humility. 
See, the first thing we really need to understand is the disease. We need to understand the nature of this disease. Barney Coombs, in a book of his, said this, Pride is a horrible, ugly thing. It is very much like bad breath. The person who has it doesn't know it. There is nothing worse than bad breath. You don't realize yourself. So uh, Annette gives me, buys these for me every week. And she says every Sunday before I go, nearly every Sunday, she says, have you got your mints? And I'm going, sorry, what? Have you got your mints? She said, if you're going to be praying for anyone, she said, you need to make sure that actually what they're not getting is halitosis. They're not getting bad breath. Because there's nothing worse than that. I might not realize it, but if I'm praying for you and I'm right in your face praying for you, you're like going, oh, please stop. You're, you're not thinking about, oh, amen, oh, thank you, oh, that's a great. You're thinking, oh, please, God, tell him to, you know, do something. We've all spent time with people who've reeked of pride. You see, it's very easy to spot in other people, but very hard to spot in ourselves. C.S. Lewis says this, There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Now whilst we dislike pride, God hates it. In Proverbs 16, it says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. And when the Bible talks about pride, it's fundamentally talking about people, men and women who live without reference to God, who uh, created beings who choose to live for themselves, choose to ignore the God who created them, who breathed life into them, who gave them existence, who sustains their lives, and they choose to ignore him and ensure that they themselves are the center of their own world. That is what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about pride. It's talking about the, the man, in, uh, like in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, uh, Psalm 10, verse 4, who it says this of, In all his thoughts there is no room for God. It's very easy to say, oh yeah, that's people out there outside the church have no room for God. How much room for God is there in our daily lives? How much do we think of God, put God first? It's a challenge to us all. Pride is having an unduly high view of ourselves, of our own abilities, of our own merits. And such that we, we don't think we need God to help in our lives. We're able to cope. We're able to cope with stuff in work. We're able to cope with situations at home. And God sort of comes in, is tacked on here and there, but really, we're not really trusting him. Pride robs God of his legitimate glory in our lives. In the Bible, the words used for pride mean lofty or haughty. And Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he uses an unusual word for pride, which means puffed up, overinflated, swollen, something that's distended. 
Tim Keller, in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, says this word is related to our word for bellows. And it's a really good analogy. It's a good illustration of what the, the word means. Because it's, it's like uh, full of air with no substance. That's what being puffed up is. Full of, full of hot air. And yet there's no real substance, no reason for it. And as you read through the Bible, it really seems that the first sin was pride. Before Adam and Eve, it seems that pride was found in the devil, in Satan. There are two passages which talk, and they talk about the downfall of a king. But the language in both cases seems to talk of something beyond and uh, beyond just a king. And the two passages in is Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. That passage talks about the king of Babylon. And there's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 17, which talks about the king of Tyre. And it's the nature of prophetic passages, of prophecy, to talk of something beyond. Not just something that's happened around, around at the time, but something beyond that. And so there are lots of prophecies in the Old Testament which point to Jesus coming. And yet they refer to something happening around the time, but it's also pointing towards Jesus. These two passages actually point back and they give hints and insights into what was happening. This is what Ezekiel says. Listen to this. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. Your heart became proud, so I threw you to earth. God judged the devil's pride. Pride is the essence of sin. A commentator, William Barclay, says this, Pride is the ground in which all the other sins grow and the parent from which all the other sins come. Paul, when he writes to his young apprentice, Timothy, about, and he's given him some advice about appointing elders, and he says this to him. He says he shouldn't appoint elders who are recent converts because they may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. God hates pride. What do you hate? I hate all sorts of things. I hate people phoning me, endless phone calls about PPI insurance. I hate it. I mean, it just drives me mad. There are other things that I seriously hate when you hear some of the news about some of the things that some people have, uh, uh, have done over the years and you, you hear all the Jimmy Savile sort of stuff. Uh, do you know, doesn't that stupid? Don't you hate that? Really hate that? God hates pride. Hates pride. It says in James verse. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud. It isn't just that God is indifferent and turns his back on it and looks away and says, oh, I really don't like that at all. It says, the word is God actively opposes the proud. Actively opposes the proud. Oh, actively opposes the proud? It's a scary thing. God, if we're proud, God is against us. If pride is so dangerous and it's so hard to see, what are the symptoms? Talked a bit about the disease. Let's talk about the symptoms of pride. 
You know, the symptoms, you go to the doctor and you, you start to explain the symptoms and the symptoms help point to the root of, of what's going on with the illness. Pride isn't easy to spot, but there are some telltale things that we can, uh, uh, we can see that point us towards pride. The Bible gives us two great stories. One is a parable and one is a real-life incident that point towards pride, that give us some illustrations of what, what's happening when uh, we're proud. And the first is a, is a parable told by Jesus about a Pharisee and a tax collector going to pray. A Pharisee is very religious, a tax collector, irreligious, not a very, uh, 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 he's not well thought of in the community. And Jesus, in this parable, in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14, he tells this story of they go to pray at the temple and the Pharisee is praying and he's got the tax collector and his prayer is, God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector there. The tax collector, his prayer is, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, Jesus says that it was the tax collector who goes away right before God. Because God resists the proud. The second story is, is a real life incident just before Jesus is going to be crucified. And uh, what happens is Jesus is with his disciples and he's, he's warning them that they're going to fall away because of what is about to happen. Peter proudly declares this, even if everybody else falls away, I will never disown you. Jesus says, before the cock crows three times, you'll disown me. We can see some of the symptoms of pride here. The first is this, self-focus. It's all about me. The Pharisee's sole focus of praying was himself. Just focused on himself. It's hard to miss Peter's me-centered statements. You know, over the years, uh, Annie and I have become a bit attuned to whether people are really interested in anything other than themselves. We listen out for it. We listen out for what's the, what's the focus here? Is this all about self? I was uh, at a conference some time ago and I remember talking to uh, this person, uh, leader, and uh, we were chatting and he was telling me all about his son and what his son was doing. It was really interesting. I was really interested in what he was doing, talking about it. Obviously really uh, proud of his son. It was, you know, it was a good pride. You know, my son's doing really well. He's going to do this. And, and I said, oh, that's really interesting. We started chatting. And I said, oh, yeah, my son is. Um, and as I started talking, you could see the lights go off and just sort of walked away. Oh, right. Oh, you're not, you're not interested. Oh. oh, okay. Feel a bit humiliated in the moment. All right, I, I might, yeah, okay. That's, that, it doesn't matter. Hmm, okay. And then you find pride in your own heart. Oh, well, do you know what I mean? Stirs something in you. Are we the center of our own universe? Do we lose interest when the conversation is no longer about us? 
Are we always waiting for a gap in the conversation so that we can drag the conversation (laughs) to something we want to talk about or a, a story we want to tell? What about when we have ministry times in church and you think, oh, I couldn't go forward because what would people think about me? We are so self-focused. The root of self-focus can be pride. The second symptom is this is overconfidence. This is a real challenge. Listen to what Peter says. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I will never disown you. I won't do it. All the other disciples said the same. Do you have a good measure of yourself? I remember years ago when I was uh, in university, uh, I, I grew up playing football in a Welsh school. Rugby was the sport, but uh, I was, all I ever played was football. I played rugby, I think it was twice or three times. I played on the wing. Basically, what would happen is they would throw me the ball and I would catch it, hopefully, and then run as fast as I could before I got hurt. Okay? Because I was fairly small. They were all bigger than me. That was my sum total of rugby. Went to university and everybody knew I, uh, we had this big game coming up, serious game, some good rugby players playing, and uh, they said, Steve, you, you know, you're a good sportsman, we need someone to play scrum half. Uh, will you do it? I said, well, I've not, I've not done it before, and they said, will, will you do it? I said, oh, and I'm thinking inside, it can't be that hard, can it? I think I can do it. So, uh, we like, and that's, this game starts, I mean, you've got, rugby got this big pack of blokes in front of you. I've got an outside half, if, so if you don't know, Robbie, you, I throw, the scrum half throws the ball to the outside half, okay? The outside half has played a really good standard of rugby. The, there is a weak link here, and it's standing in the middle of them. So what happens is, the first time the ball comes, and, and what happens is, you've got to be able to throw the ball that way and that way. Well, that way is easy because I'm right-handed. That way is not so hot. So the, the scrum half is standing there, and he's getting balls that are out there. He's doing this. He's having to, the ball's bobbling. And normally he's standing about 20 yards away. Well, within about 15 minutes, he's standing on my shoulder. Basically, the ball's coming out, and I'm giving it like that. In the end, they, they, they said, right, this is clearly not working. We need to ship you out to the wing. Get him out to the wing where he can just run. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. Overconfident. Foolishly thought I could do something that I couldn't. Overconfidence invariably leads to embarrassment. And it's marked by boasting. Paul reminds us in Romans 12 verse 3. I say to every one of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. I want to say to you, if you're doing your GCSEs or A-levels at the moment, sometimes uh, pride can sneak in. You get your results and you think you, you get your GCSE and you think, oh, I got, did really well in maths, I can do maths A-level, it'd be easy, no problem at all. It's a big jump and you can take your foot off the gas and you can uh, start doing everything. Oh, it doesn't really matter the first few months. I can catch up. And actually suddenly you find, oh, it's a lot harder than I thought. 
and your pride can catch you out. You can be a student in university and uh, you go to university and you think, oh, I can, uh, you know, I, got, I did really got three A's, uh, A level, I'm going to breeze this. And suddenly you find that actually everybody there has done really well and suddenly you're not so good as you thought you were. I went to university, uh, everybody's saying, oh, I'll go to university at the top uh, 5% or whatever it is, well, I was the very, very bottom of the percent that went to university. I found it really difficult. Pride is a big deal. When you get your first job, you go in and you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world. And then you suddenly find for the first six weeks you're making tea and filing bits of paper. It's really tough. You can be in work, you can, uh, in a work situation, you can be really dismissive of everybody else's view because you're right, you're overconfident in your own opinion. Pride is such a dangerous thing. God wants us to know, he doesn't want us to be like that, overconfidence. And the final thing is competitiveness. Peter says to Jesus, listen to this, if all fall away, I won't. If, if they all fall away, Jesus, I won't. Really competitive. Are you competitive? John writes in a letter, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Do you love to be first? Do you have to win? How do you react when other people get mentioned and your name isn't mentioned? But you were there. I was there. Didn't they remember me? I did, didn't Steve see me? What about one-upmanship? I don't know if you've seen there's been programs about billionaires on the television. And basically, it seems to me that what happens is if someone's got a bigger house or a bigger basement or a bigger swimming pool it seems to be uh, you've got to knock your house down and and you know it just seems everybody's driven by being competitive by being better than the person next to them is that something that drives you is that something that catches you on occasions because we can all be like this I find myself can get caught by these sort of things do you have to have a better story do you always have to have the last word what about rubbishing others to elevate yourself. Have you found yourself doing that? Oh, no, that's, that, that's not very Because really what you want to do is you want to lift yourself up. You want people to think well of you. So actually you can't say anything good about anyone else because actually you want people to see, oh, you're, you're good. That's what the Pharisee did. He's, this tax collector's come to pray with him and the tax collector's there and the Pharisee's going, the ta- Pharisee's rubbishing him. If the Pharisee isn't going, oh, it's great to see this guy praying. He doesn't say that at all. Oh, thank God I'm not like that man. We can, it, when it gets into our hearts, it is a horrible, horrible thing. Pride is a horrible thing. Do you look down on others? What do you like about receiving correction? How dare they say that to me? That's what, do you know that's what happens? When someone says, see, that wasn't very good. Inside I go, oh, I hate it. Well, I hate it when they say that. See, the worst thing is when people correct you, it's, 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 it's the truth, isn't it? That's what, that's the hardest bit. It's when it's true, you go, oh, I hate it, really. Oh, oh. Don't receive correction very well. What about quarrels? Sometimes, qu- 
quarrels are, if you're just a lightning rod for quarrels, wherever you seem to go, you seem to have a quarrel, maybe there's an issue of pride. It says here in Proverbs 13 verse 10, pride breeds only quarrels. Do you have a tendency to mock others? Just ridicule. You know, when something happens, you just just mock. Make fun of, poke. And it's all in good fun, but but really there's a heart that's just mocking other people. And it says in Proverbs 21, 24, the proud and arrogant man, mocker, is his name. We're not to be overwhelmed with guilt, okay? But those are some of the symptoms of a really horrible disease. Because, you see, the good news is there is a cure. You see, God, fortunately, God is merciful to us. And we know that God's merciful to us because when we look at Jesus, the Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God. And when we see how Jesus treated his disciples when they're arguing about who's the greatest, how he treats Peter after his arrogance and pride and and then he gets it all wrong and Jesus so beautifully restores him at the end of the Gospels. We know what God is like. God is merciful to us. Jesus is our great high priest. It says this in Philippians chapter 2. We're told that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That's our Savior. That's Jesus. Peter himself goes on to say this in 1 Peter 5 verses 5 to 6. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. I don't know if you can get that. I want you to get that. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. God's hand is mighty. God wants you to humble yourself under his hand. There's an old TV comedy program with a guy called Leonard Rossiter. It was called The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. Some of you might remember it, but it talked about the fall and rise of Reginald Perrin. And it was a guy who uh, got it, uh, decided he was running, ran away from his home, everything, and uh, then came back and tried to, to change. And it's about how his life changed and the battles that he had. And it was obviously very humorous. But I want you to hear this. When Jesus was born, an old man called Simeon prophesies about Jesus. And he says this in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus. He said that this baby is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. The falling and rising of many. You see, Jesus has come to bring people low under God's mighty hand that God might rise, raise them up. Jesus has come to deal with the issue of pride. 
I came across an old commentator which, who gives a really helpful uh, analogy. And he's talking back to the children of Israel who are coming into the promised land, all that God's promised for them. And uh, God's saying, if you live uh, my way, I will bless you. If you don't, actually you're opening yourselves up to curses. And uh, so God says, when they come into the promised land, he says, what you're to do, there are, to be, uh, there are two mountains, and they're close together. And this mountain here, you're, what, you're to go up this mountain, and you are to remind yourselves that if you don't live my way, if you don't humble yourself, live, live lives that serve me, actually these curses will come upon you. And then this other mountain over here, you are to stand on this mountain and declare, if we live for God, God promises to bless us. If we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he will bless us. And it's, it's like this mountain is a mountain that reminds them of pride and this mountain reminds them of humility in the way of humility. But the reality is this, you can't just walk from the one to the other. You have to go down the mountain, you have to go low into the valley before you can come up the other side. And the gospel is this, that we need to humble ourselves under God mighty hand. We need to humble ourselves, come down low, leave behind our pride. And we need to ascend the hill of the Lord. And what you need to know is this hill, this hill of humility, that on the top of it there is an empty cross and a risen saviour. That on, the, on this hill of humility there is one who humbled himself for you that you might know the hand of blessing, the, the hand of God blessing you. It's a beautiful picture. God lifts us up in Christ. He gives grace to the humble. You see, humility comes from having a right view of God. Have you got a right view of God? I got up uh, one morning this week and I was, I, I, I was feeling a bit sorry for myself. It's a bit pathetic, okay? So I got up, I was feeling a bit sorry for myself and my, I, I went to pray and I started off, it was all, oh God, it's not fair. Pride. And I just, I just, I just, at that moment, I said, God, I need to, I started, I started to worship God. I started to sing an old hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. As I started to come down from my pride and as I started to come down into this valley and as I started to ascend the hill of the Lord, as I start to look at the cross and I start to look at a risen saviour, I leave behind my pride, I stamp it underfoot and I look to him who humbled himself for me, I find myself being set free. I have a right view of God. John Stott says this, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts, down, cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness. Until we have visited a place called Calvary, it is there, at the foot of the cross, 
that we shrink to our true size. Every morning, we need to nip pride in the bud and throw ourselves on God. Spending time with him reminds our proud heart that we need God. Reading the Bible, listening to him, seeking his face in prayer, thanking him for all that he's done for us in days gone by and saying, God, because you've done that, I know that today you will be with me. That is gospel humility. Being filled with the Spirit every day. God, fill me with the Spirit. I need you. I can't live this day unless you're helping me. Let's stir ourselves to have a right view of God. We also need to have a right view of ourselves. Have you ever been in a fairground and you go in those hall of mirrors and you go in and sometimes you go in and you see a mirror and it's a convex mirror and you look at it and you suddenly see yourself. Oh, I quite like the look of it. I'm quite chunky, aren't I? Mm, Look at that. Mm, I'm quite muscular. And then you see another mirror and you think, oh, no, oh, that's really ugly. Oh, dear. Oh, do I really look like that? Sometimes we, we, we see ourselves, the, we just don't see ourselves as we ought to see. We, we, we're light, we're in a hall of mirrors. For some of us, we, we look at ourselves going, oh, you're all right. And uh, for others of us, we're beating ourselves up. We've got, we're like Uriah Heap. Oh, poor old me, I'm not very good. That's just as proud. That reeks of pride. We need to have a right view of ourselves. Proverbs 3 verses, to, uh, verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on our own, your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Always look to God. God, I need you. I need your help. Every time I come to preach, I say, God, if you don't show up today, we are in trouble. God, I need you. I need your help. Have a right view of yourself. I don't wake up in the morning and go, wow, I can't wait to go and sock it to them this morning. Genuinely don't think that. I genuinely think, God, please turn up today. Breathe life into these, what feels like dead words. F.B. Meyer said this, the only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. The way you're going to get a true view of yourself is looking at Christ. Seeing yourself in Christ as Emma was talking about today. Who are you? You need to know who you are in Christ. That's how you're going to get a right view of yourself. It's all because of him. Nothing rips pride out of us more than understanding and bathing in the grace of God. God, it's your grace. I am who I am by the grace of God. I'm not clever. You are great. Have a right view of yourself. Finally, have a right view of others. Do you see other people as God sees them? Do you treat people as as God treats them? We're not very good at this. You see, we need to see people as God's children, God's son, God's daughter. God loves them. God sent his son to die for them. And so how we treat people should be as God treats them. It's a real challenge. Every person is of infinite value to God, whether they are on a street corner with begging 
And we walk by and we make so quickly make judgments about their history. We don't. We have no idea. We write them off. We should treat people as God treats them. We're called to love people. This is what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Are there symptoms of pride in your life? I see them in my own. Are you too self-focused? Are you overconfident? Are you unduly competitive? Well, be encouraged, there is a cure. It's a cure on a hill outside Jerusalem. It's a, a cure, a hill with an empty cross. It's a hill of humility where the Son of God stooped down, humbled himself, embraced humanity so that we, who are brought low before God through Christ, can be raised up. If you've been struggling with these things, I want to tell you, you are not alone. Everybody in the room is struggling with it. Okay? And if you think that you're not, can I suggest... That you might be. (laughs) We need to face the facts and repent. Leave our pride behind and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I'm going to finish with this quote. This guy Barney Coombe said this. I just thought this is really helpful to know when we've genuinely repented. Repentance means turning away from pride and living the way God wants us to. This is what he says. I know when I have truly repented because I no longer have the slightest interest in how wrongly others may have behaved towards me. It's irrelevant. All I'm concerned with is knowing that God has forgiven me and I am once again enjoying his presence.